Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to the Rusk Report. We're very, very fortunate to have with us today two great writers and they have written 35 books in total, 22 books in the Inspector Rutledge series, which is very uh, popular. And we're going to be talking basically today on the Rust Report on ESPN AM 1520 to 17 states and half of Canada about their new mystery novel, The Black Ascot. And we've had many Palm Beach writers on this program, including B. Kazar, Ted Bell, Brian Haig, General Alexander Haig, and Douglas Fairbanks Jr. about his book Salad Days, in addition to Pat Booth, who's been on this program. So we've had many authors from the Palm Beaches as we hit 17 states. A, a little bit about our guests today. We are happy to have Charles and Caroline Todd, their mother and son writing team, who live on the east coast of the United States. Caroline has a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and History and a Master's in International Relations. Charles has a BA in Communications Studies with an emphasis on business management and a culinary arts degree that means he can boil more than water. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, this book, The Black Ascot, is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, IndieBound, and any independent uh, booksellers uh, store. It's published by Harper Collins. Again, uh, I was very fortunate to meet uh, Charles Todd and now Caroline Todd through B. Kazar, who has also uh, written a recent book. So let's talk about Black Ascot. Um, part of the Inspector Eon Rutledge Mystery uh, Series. Now, the New York Times uh, had some nice things to say about this in their recent review by Marilyn Stasio, and she said this, it's a reflective series. And also, uh, she talked about this uh, being sort of a, an, an elegant and police procedural, referring to black ascot. So first, let's talk about the lead character in your Eon Rutledge series, who is none other than Eon Rutledge. Who is Eon Rutledge? Well, <clears throat> he's a very interesting man. He had a career at Scotland Yard <clears throat> before the Great War, and like many of his fellow countrymen, he went to war, spent four years in the trenches of France, and then <clears throat> came back trying to pick up his career where he had left it. Fortunately, he was not uh, seriously wounded in the war, but he does have um, 
something that is that sets him apart both personally and professionally. He's shell shocked. It's something that no one wants to to um, have made public. It's <coughs> it's um, um, it was considered a disgrace, um, shameful for the family, and he tries to cope without betraying what he has suffered. Would you go ahead? PTSD, as we call it now, is still something that causes somewhat of a stigma in society. But back uh, during those times, uh, especially after World War One, those people who came back dealing with the trauma of serving, especially in the trenches on the Western Front, uh, were dealing with a variety of mental conditions as a result of the heavy bombardment, the close quarters, the very unsanitary quarters, as well as facing imminent death on an extended period of time. It's a, an emotional and mental anguish for the survivors. <coughs> but in British society, it was considered a sign of cowardice. You didn't have the stiff upper lip that we so much associate with British society. It was considered a failing and a weakness, and any man who suffered from something like that had to be constitutionally in, in, unable to accept responsibility. And so Rutledge is not what this to come to the attention of Scotland Yard, much less his family, because in addition to being a professional statement, it was a strong social statement. Yes, and the tragedy was that so many men suffered from shell shock. We've heard so many stories talking to British families uh, all over the country, and they tell us about Uncle Fred or my grandfather or my, my eldest brother who came home changed so changed we hardly recognized him. Well, we see that so often today with so many people from the Iraqi and Afghanistan Absolutely. wars who have this terrible uh, conflict, uh, inability to communicate, an inability to function, nightmares. So we see that today in 2019 when we're taping this program. I'd also like to mention that with us today at the taping is Diana Collier, whom I met before when we taped uh, author B. Kazar on this program, so we welcome her to the taping today. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about killers. We hear on the news and in the newspaper every day about murder, and but we want to talk about this uh, killer who eluded Scotland Yard. Let's talk about uh, the killer and how did he elude Scotland Yard? Well, this is the, the question that uh, we face in the, the book because when Alan Barrington was um, held guilty by the, the judgment of the inquest, he was um, bound over for trial. But in between inquest and trial, he got out of England, or so they thought, or perhaps he's dead, or perhaps he's hiding somewhere in the country. And <clears throat> no one knows. For 10 years, he managed to escape um, uh, the police and this was a black mark for the for the people at Scotland Yard. The newspapers make quite a bit of it. Alan Barrington 
<clears throat> had been very successful in life and was had a tremendous amount of financial resources available to him, <coughs> which allowed him to travel and, and go places outside the country without uh, any real struggle on his part financially. But it all began really with a picture we saw on one of our research trips in England. Yes, um, the Black Aska hasn't been um, written about. We thought it would be an interesting beginning for the book. In 1910, when Edward VII died, the the court was in mourning, and there was some discussion about counseling the the Ascot races, which are the the premier part of the the social season. And after some thought, they decided that since Edward loved um, the races so very much, they would go ahead and hold them, but everyone would appear in mourning. And the feathers, the ostrich feathers, were black. The lace on the cuffs was, was black. The the cravats that the men wore were, were black. Uh, it was quite a, a spectacle, and we happened to find a picture of this. Mm -hmm. And that started our thinking, how Even can we use it? Even though it was a black and white picture, you could tell uh, because of the light color of, of the stands at the racetrack, the sea of people all dressed in black. And it made a quite an impression on us, and to this day it is still referred to as the Black Ascot. Great. I think, mm -hmm. I think one of the characters says it reminds him of a convocation of crows. <laughs> We're learning a great deal from two noted authors, uh, Charles and Caroline Todd, a mother and son writing team, and they have written 35 books in total, 22 books with the Inspector Rutledge series. Again, the, the book that is now out that got a very good review from the New York Times with Marilyn Stasio is The Black Ascot. It is available throughout the U.S. and Canada with Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, IndieBound, and any independent bookseller. So we recommend this very highly to our listeners to the Rusk Report. If you're listening in northern Florida, Washington, D.C., Buffalo, or Montreal, drop us a note. We'd like to hear from you. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. I'd like to um, mention a plug here. ESPN 1520 is streaming. You can listen live by going to our website, ESPN1520.com and clicking on the radio.com or listen tab. West New Yorkers love their traditions and the Ampol Legal has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Legal. The Ampol Legal is available in many Tops and Wegmans stores. For home delivery, call 716-835-9454. That's 
716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. We thank those who called regarding our recent guest, Tommy James, and with Tommy James and the Shandells, who have sold over 100 million records internationally, a big hit in the 70s and 80s with Crystal Blue Persuasion and 100 other hits. Also, uh, thanks to those who have called regarding the Cancer Alliance in Southern Florida, helping with costs uh, regarding uh, cancer care. And also Ken Abramowitz, who has the Save the West blog, uh, trying to make sure that Christians and Jews work together to combat radical Islamic behavior. Uh, talking about Charles and Caroline Todd, they have authored A Forgotten Place, The Gatekeeper, A Casualty of War, Racing the Peril, and The Shattered Tree. Altogether, 35 books in total, 22 books in the Inspector Rutledge series. Our guest today on the Rust Report on ESPN AM 1520. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about this appalling murder in 1910, we're talking 109 years ago. What was that murder all about, uh, Charles and Caroline Todd? Well, uh, as the races were going on, there was a, a quarrel between two people, and they decided to, to leave the races. On the way back to, to London, <clears throat> there was a car crash, and the wife was killed a beautiful woman, well-known in society. And so this shocked people, particularly when some of the evidence pointed to the fact that someone had intended to murder her husband and accidentally killed her and just severely injured him. So this was something the newspapers really picked up and Scotland Yard was uh, called in to, to find the killer, and they did. According to their investigation, it appeared that somebody had <coughs> done something to the motor vehicle that was carrying <coughs> the young woman and her husband. And as a result of that presumed vandalism to the vehicle, there was a terrible car crash. And although the husband was severely injured, he did survive. However, his wife was killed, and she was a love interest of... Uh, several suitors yes. uh, prior <clears throat> to her marriage. There were um, plenty of suspects, but Alan Barrington was, was found guilty at the inquest and ordered to stand trial. So he's never been tried, but the stigma of murder hangs over him and he's disappeared. Ten years later, there's a, um, a possible sighting that Rutledge reports to his his superior officer, the, the um, chief superintendent, and he's put in charge of it. This is one of the things writers find um, fun. We wanted to write about a 1910 murder, and yet Rutledge is, is actually working after the war. So we used the, the opportunity of reviewing a cold case to bring him into the the uh, long um, period of time that, that uh, Alan Barrington had disappeared. So <coughs> Rutledge goes back and takes a look through the old files and actually some of the people that had done some of the investigating, the original investigating, are 
were retired or no longer living, and so he has a tremendous amount of work to do covering old ground, but because, <coughs> as Caroline said, Scotland Yard did not want to draw the press's attention to this because Scotland Yard had taken a little bit of a beating in the press for letting this wanted man slip loose and get away from them for all this time and the last thing they wanted was to have this on the front pages of the Times. So Rutledge is sent out under the guise of simply dotting the I's and crossing the T's for the files from the archives and uh, really has to go back to reinvestigating the case from scratch and actually as always we had an opportunity to have Rutledge visit a variety of places all over England. One of the things we've enjoyed with this series is each book is set in a different part of rural England, which is, uh, in this case, there are places like the Lake District and several others where we've actually gone and spent a tremendous amount of time doing the research to get to know these precise places. and. Uh, in the midst of all of this, uh, incident arises that puts Rutledge's hidden PTSD in uh, the potential of being in the spotlight again. Uh, he uh, is temporarily suspended from Scotland Yard while they're trying to figure out whether or not he's capable of resuming his duties and Rutledge knows that uh, the only way through this is to carry on and bring this case to a successful conclusion and uh, we certainly hope he does but we're mm. not telling you today. <laughs> All right, okay. The problem is <clears throat> if Rutledge, Rutledge depends on this case to solve his situation at Scotland Yard is the man dead? Is he alive? Is he even in England? And these are the questions that face him throughout the rest of the book. Well, let's find out how Alan Barrington evaded capture for 10 years. Again, we're talking with Caroline and Charles Todd, authors of The Black Ascot that is available in stores throughout the U.S. and Canada. How did he evade capture for 10 oh, years? But that's the secret of the book. Rutledge well, doesn't know, and, and he doesn't find out until much later. <laughs> well, did he do it through brilliance or by accident? Uh, well, you know, as I they, said earlier... To evade capture is a hard thing. I wonder... Well, what? as I said early on, Alan Harrington was a man of means. He had multiple properties and financial holdings that were being administered by a solicitor in his absence, who was also in charge of taking care of his property. So, Alan Barrington, first and foremost, had access to income, which is very important, and enabled him to potentially be able to travel just about anywhere. Uh, it would not be very hard for him to choose an assumed name, uh, have a disguise, go, you know, in the, in, even in 1920, 21, 
it was not difficult if you had the money to sail off to India and disappear or to the Caribbean or Canada. There were a lot of places where someone with the financial resources necessary could go and disappear. And so the thought that for he might be back in England, the hope was that for some reason either by mistake, uh, by longing for his homeland, a desire to see some friends, that he might have come back to England. And that's what Ian Rutledge is sent by his bosses to track down as uh, quietly as possible without drawing any press attention. They have to decide, <coughs> it, or Rutledge has to decide, how he's getting his money to stay abroad for 10 years. Who is supporting him? Who among the people he's interviewing are um, Barrington's friends? And how many are Barrington's enemies? And so he gets a double perspective on a man he's trying to to understand well enough to track him down. We're learning a great deal from two noted authors of 35 books in total and 22 books in the Inspector Rutledge series. Again, this book, the new book, is The Black Ascot. It's part of the Inspector Eon Rutledge mystery series. Uh, and this is, the, this is on the New York Times best-selling list. Our guests today are Caroline and Charles Todd, mother and son writing team. We encourage all of our listeners in our 17 states on the east coast of the United States and Canada to get these books I have in front of me, A Test of Wills, The Gatekeeper, and a pattern of lies. They're available throughout the world. We recommend this uh, very highly. Uh, let's talk about Inspector Eon Rutledge. Is he the right man to go after this alleged murderer, Alan Barrington? I suspect he is because the one thing that we have found interesting throughout the, the series is how Rutledge works. He's a good listener. He's a man who is intently... Um, judging his situation, the people he must interview, he's questioning um, the steward of the, the family estate, mm -hmm. the, the solicitor. He's, he's very good at digging and therefore he finds some things that the earlier investigation missed. So I think he, he, um, he finds it a challenge but at the same time it's something that he's very good at. Uh, it, it's challenging for Rutledge, especially in this case where it is such a high-profile case for Scotland Yard that stress has a tendency to bring back some of the uh, difficulties that people have when they are coping with PTSD. Unfortunately, there is no real cure for PTSD. It's primarily through coping that uh, people are able to carry on normal lives. And so Rutledge is faced with, on the one hand, Scotland Yard wanting answers and wanting them now. On the other hand, people that are friends of Aaron, Alan Barrington and enemies of Alan Barrington that have their own agendas on how they want to see the case proceed. So there's a lot of 
good information and misinformation and through doggedness and patience uh, Rutledge is able to uh, persevere and it's through this characteristic that uh, Rutledge carries on the case even after he's been relieved of his duties uh, to prove not only to Scotland Yard that he's capable of doing it, but to prove it to himself. Yes, that's very important. He right. knows what he's facing, and he needs that reassurance. The first book, A Test of Wills, <clears throat> laid that out as a premise for the series, but it's a test between Rutledge and his, his PTSD. We're learning a great deal from two noted authors, internationally regarded, Charles and Caroline Todd on the Rusk Report, authors of 35 books in total, 22 books in the Inspector Rutledge series. Again, the book published by Harper Collins, The Black Ascot, is now available worldwide. We're very honored to have back by popular demand Charles Todd and his lovely mother Caroline and again, this is a mother and son writing team. We have a few minutes left on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. What's next in the Inspector Rutledge mystery novel series? Uh, that's the fun part. Uh, <laughs> the good news for our fans who are always wanting to know when the next one is coming, we have completed the manuscript for the next book. It has been turned into the publisher, and it is... Uh, going to be released in January or February uh, or February and uh, we've sort of gone back and forth on the title we finally decided on a divided loyalty a divided loyalty and uh, available for pre-order now is the 11th in the best Crawford series that comes out this September and its title is a cruel deception and it's set in Paris during the Treaty of Versailles. Now you said you were nominated for an award that's the coming The Grafton Memorial Award this year being given out at the Edgar Awards Banquet by the Mystery Writers of America. So, that's uh, one of our best Crawford mysteries. So this is a nomination right now? Yes. 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 And how do you think you fare with the nomination? Oh, you never know. <laughs> we are honored to be included with some really outstanding Absolutely. authors. And so uh, we're just uh, pleased to be to going be back to the Edgars again as we do every year and uh, hoping for the best. Yeah. Now, you're a mother-son team. Do you have different idiosyncrasies and squabbles when you're writing a <laughs> book? Do you throw the uh, the computer on the floor and stomp, or what do you do? <laughs> we do very well together, surprisingly. But we learn very early on that we have to do everything together. That if he's going to write one chapter and I'm going to write another, it gets confusing. But if we work on each chapter, we uh, um, build it together. I like think that house. one of the big helps is, is that I live here in Florida and Caroline lives in Wilmington, Delaware, outside of Philadelphia. Yes, we've always worked in separate locations, so even when I'm visiting him here in Florida, I work in one room and he works in another. So um, when you are apart a thousand miles, you, uh, by internet, send the scripts oh, yeah. to each other and revise yeah, and change? We're sending 
we work scene by scene, so if we're working on a particular scene, uh, both of us may be working on it and send what we've done to each other and then spend some time uh, looking over what the other one has done, taking into consideration where things are, are going. It's been one of the benefits, too, because... I have my long-term relationship with my mother, mm -hmm. but now for the last 22, 23 years yeah. we've been uh, doing this, it's been an opportunity to get to know my mother as a professional. And Good. I have a lot of I'm sorry we've run out of time. We recommend all of our listeners, The Rust Report with ESPN AM 1520, to go buy this book, The Black Ascot. Our guests have been Charles and Caroline Todd. Also, special thanks to... Diana Collier for joining us. We encourage all of our listeners get this book, The Black Ascot. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the Western New York community with news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.